promises to be an interesting paper. It's titled Practicing Phenomenology in Cognitive Sciences Toward Theoretical Integration with Mechanism. Well, I'm not sure if it will be so interesting because it's a philosophy of science slash methodology, which is sometimes boring as hell. So please be patient. Uh, Okay, so thank you for, for the conference. Thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to share with you some ideas uh, on uh, uh, phenomenology and cognitive sciences, and especially on the, the possibility of integration phenomenology with the uh, mechanistic approach, or to be more precise, with the neo-mechanistic uh, approach. So here is the uh, outline of my talk. Uh, First, I will just very briefly uh, sketch the, the background of uh, phenomenology in cognitive science. I will list a uh, few theoretical positions we have now in the debate. Uh, then I will move to, to mechanistic explanation. I will shortly characterize what's the nature of, of this explanatory framework. And I will argue that it is possible to integrate with phenomenology uh, if we accept the specific reading of phenomenology as a kind of uh, functionality. Uh, and finally, I will show what benefits can we have uh, from this integration. Uh, and uh, this is mostly work in progress, so looking forward to your comments, criticism and, uh, and questions. Um, phenomenology in cognitive sciences and presence of phenomenology and phenomenological method in cognitive science is not a brand new thing. It was introduced, uh, I guess, from the beginning of the 90s in the uh, previous century. Uh, usually, the embodied mind by Francesco Varela, Evan Thompson, and Eleanor Roche. That's the book that introduced Husserlian phenomenology into, into cognitive sciences. This book is important for many reasons. Also, because it introduces the embodied mind, mind paradigm. Uh, and since then, there are uh, different. There were different proposals, theoretical proposals, formulated, together with a bunch of problems that are still under debate. This is, this, here is the list of the problems. Uh, so, Husserlian antinaturalism, the distinction between natural attitude and phenomenological attitude. Reduction problems with causality that we have after reduction and in natural sciences we've had a strong understanding of causality and so forth. This is a list of problems I will not address here because they were uh, many times discussed in the debate and they are in the literature. To mention three positions that are, uh, I think, interesting in the debate. First, neurophenomenology, uh, introduced by, by Varela. Uh, Thompson and then student of Varela, Anton Lutz. And in a nutshell, neurophenomenology aims to uh, integrate uh, two kinds of data, two sets of data. The first personal data of uh, phenomenological description and third personal data of neuroimaging. Uh, so the aim of neurophenomenology is to find correlates between these two apparently uh, opposite uh, data. And uh, the second important uh, component of neurophenomenology is uh, training of sub subjects that are under research 
uh, in uh, phenomenological reduction, which apparently have to uh, which, which which apparently leads to uh, improvement in uh, phenomenological interviews. Uh, another proposal is mathematization of, of phenomenological descriptions. Uh, Edward, Edward Marbach uh, uh, proposed this, this, this approach and he claims that, well, if phenomenology, uh, if it is possible to introduce phenomenology to the natural sciences, it has to be introduced in language that is understandable for everyone and that is mathematics. So we need to uh, translate phenomenological descriptions, the first personal descriptions, into third personal notation, mathematical notation, and he proposed such an uh, apparatus to, to translate. Uh, and finally, there is front-loaded phenomenology uh, by Sean Gallagher, that's his proposal. And I think that's a very modest proposal because he, Gallagher is a, is a practitioner and he, uh, he sees that, well, there are some insights from phenomenology that are interesting for cognitive scientists and there are some cognitive scientists that are interested in phenomenology. So maybe let's accept this fact and not discuss too much the methodological issues and just invite phenomenologists into research teams and ask them to give us some descriptions, to, to introduce some conceptual framework, to introduce uh, conceptual distinctions. And let's use all of this to improve the, the process of designing experiments and research projects. So this is a very practical uh, approach. Um, There are a couple uh, other uh, positions. I will not uh, discuss them here. A mechanistic explanation and mechanistic approach was not yet, as far as I know, uh, uh, compared and tried to, to be integrated with, uh, with phenomenology. But first of all, what are what is a mechanistic explanation? Uh, what is mechanism? At the beginning, the, the key notion of this approach. So mechanism, according to Bechtel, is a structure performing function in virtue of its component parts, component operation, and their organization. There are obviously many kinds of mechanisms, physical mechanisms, biological mechanisms, but also, like Bechtel claims, there are mental mechanisms, mechanisms that are representational, that have some content or they refer to something external, and finally there are even such researchers that claim that uh, the main function of, of this representational mechanism is computation. So, mechanism can uh, represent something because they perform computations. That's Mukowski's uh, position. Um, so, again, in a natural mechanism, it's just a structure composed of different substructures that are interacting with each other. And, in effect, they produce kind of uh, behavior, uh, any, any kind of phenomenon. So mechanisms can be decomposed. They can be decomposed in parts. Each part can fulfill different functions. So we can speak of uh, functions of mechanisms and sub-functions of, this, of these parts. Uh, to summarize the general nature of mechanistic explanations, uh, we can say that, first of all, they are different from Low covering, uh, low covering explanations. So they are different from the nomological uh, model of explanations that seek for the uh, laws of nature that underlie um, 
phenomena in nature. Uh, mechanistic explanations seek for a specific structure uh, mechanism that produces these phenomena. So they are focused on the how the phenomenon is produced, not on why it is produced. Uh, then mechanistic explanations are multi-level. So the mechanism itself, it is decomposable. It has some levels inside. But also it, it can be understood only when, it, when we put it in the larger context, that is, into, into a system. So for instance, we can describe heart as a pump, as a mechanism. But it can be understood only if we put it in the larger system of the blood circulation and organs. Uh, so it is context-dependent. This explanation of mechanisms has to include reference to some larger environment or context. And finally, it's non-reductive. Non and that's a really good thing, because uh, I'm not a big fan about reduction or reducing phenomenology into, into uh, uh, natural sciences, I am uh, for integrating phenomenology with natural sciences. So this non-reductive because it allows that on different levels of description and different levels of explanation, we have different diction dictionaries and different uh, methods. And we can integrate it together to uh, explain the phenomenon in the whole scope. OK, so that's, that was the characterization of mechanistic explanations, but how the, the, the practice of this kind of explanation looks. So roughly, we can distinguish three steps. So first, we define the phenomenon. We find something we want to explain. Then we are, we are searching for uh, specific mechanisms. Uh, and finally, we are formulating a hypothesis. That's the mechanism responsible for the phenomenon. And we are testing this hypothesis by different uh, uh, procedures, like interventions, behavioral experiments, or lesions and stimulations. So problems uh, that uh, goes with this approach is, like, for me, the initial stage is essentially important, because defining the phenomenon, understanding what is phenomenon, and how to properly define the phenomenon is extremely difficult. And we see that. On the example of the integrated information theory, that's the uh, mechanistic theory of consciousness proposed by first by Tononi and then by Oizumi and Tononi. That's the extended version of the of the theory. So their approach is that well, let's formulate some axioms, self-evident truths about consciousness that we all agree. Then let's derive postulates from these actions, uh, postulates that will constrain uh, mechanisms. And then let's formulate a research program to find these mechanisms. So everything depends on the initial stage of formulating an axiom and defining, and defining uh, consciousness. Uh, the problem is that there is no phenomenology at all involved. Well, it's not a huge argument against Tononi, he doesn't have to use phenomenology, but I think it's very naive uh, approach to the problem because we use the common sense uh, concept of, of consciousness. So these axioms are consciousness exists. Well, okay, we have to assume that phenomena that we want to explain exist. Uh, then consciousness is 
compositional, so that means it is structured somehow. The experiences, conscious experiences, are somehow structured. Uh, it is informative, it carries information, put it differently. It is integrated, so the, the experience we have cannot be reduced to the component parts of the experience. And consciousness is exclusive, so each uh, experience in a given time is exclusively different from other experiences in other, in other times. So, well, some of them are, well, okay, seems, seems also phenomenologically uh, uh, relevant, and, and so I think we would agree with them that, for instance, that the consciousness is integrated, so there is this process of synthesis in, in consciousness involved. Some other are very controversial, like consciousness is exclusive, that we can have, we can have only one exclusive con uh, experience at a time. Uh, well, the thing is that I think that we, we could improve this process uh, signific significantly if we employ phenomenology at the, at the beginning and employ phenomenological apparatus to analyze experience and to, uh, to formulate uh, the action, axioms. So phenomenology, that, that's, what, that's why my argument, can be uh, integrated with the process at the beginning in the defining the phenomenon and also at the process of uh, functional decomposition. So, uh, and is it possible? Well, can we read phenomenology as a set of tools that helps us in, uh, in functional analysis? That's the quote from Husserl from the first book of Ideas. The greatest problems of all are functional problems. The point of view of function is the central one for phenomenology. Consideration arises of a single particularist from the teleological, sorry for spelling mistake, point of view, for their function of making possible a synthetical unity. Uh, obviously there is a problem how we should understand this, this quote and what function means in, in Husserlian uh, phenomenology. It seems it's, it's not mathematical function, it's uh, neither psychological function, but constitutive function. So, to put it differently, Husserl wants to uh, analyze what kind of, what kind of uh, functions of consciousness are necessary in order to uh, constitute experience we have at the end of the process. So, what, are, what functions are involved in the process of constitution of experience? And that would be approach present in, in genetic phenomenology, in the stage of genetic phenomenology. Uh, in Husserl developed later. So, to give an example of functional analysis, so maybe we can read this kind of analysis, functional analysis in Husserl, that is um, constitution of temporal object. We have, we all remember, I guess, from the um, lectures on time uh, from Husserl, that uh, it, there is a, there is a me melody we hear melody and how the melody is constituted. Okay, so there has to be a temporal synthesis in the process involved. There are all the notes that uh, succeed after one another, they have to be synthesized in, in the unity of temporal objects. So then Husserl introduced two main functions as retention and protension. Retention keeps what was what is past and protention is anticipation of the near future. But then again, he digs deep 
uh, in the analysis, and he said, okay, but there is also a primal impression as this ideal, um, uh, yeah, ideal, never accessible um, uh, element aspect of, of, of time consciousness. Then retention also have different kinds. There is longitudinal retention and transverse retention, which are all necessary in order to keep retention working. So there are different functions and sub-functions, as I see, uh, in order to produce the experience of temporal object. And I think we can, we can use this example and different examples of functional analysis in Husserl in order to improve the process of looking for, for mechanisms. Uh, are phenomenological explanations uh, coherent or similar to mechanistic explanations? I think yes, because they are, first of all, autonomous. That is, phenomenology itself is an autonomous discipline. It cannot be reduced to either psychology or natural sciences. And I think that's good and it works with mechanistic approach because it is multi-level and it is non-reductive. Then it's not anti-naturalistic as some people read Husserl, but it's anti-reductionist. So Husserl is opposed to, uh, not to, uh, he's not against natural scientists, not natural scientists, not sciences, sorry, but, it is, but he's against uh, reducing everything to natural science, sciences and giving this primacy to natural sciences. Then phenomenological explanations are multi-level. I think in the previous slide, I think it was, it was understandable. And then it, they also focus on the how, how experience is constituted, not why. And what improvements can we have from phenomenology? First, better definition of, of, uh, of uh, experience or consciousness, that is a phenomenon to be explained. Then some improvements in functional analysis and decomposition. And then it can replace thing that I really don't like, so folk psychology, uh, which usually is used in, in uh, cognitive sciences in, in the neo-mechanistic approach. So, for instance, Bechtel, when he analyzed memory, he refers to this very naive uh, folk psychological concepts of memory, how memory works. Uh, so this personal level of, of explanation, I will not go into Bermuda's distinction of the horizontal vertical, but the personal level and subpersonal level. So this, this subpersonal level can be replaced with phenomenology. And I think it will work much better than for psychology. Okay, thank you for your attention.